Mix 93.8 Legendary Radio for you. A Monday night, it is What's Involved. And uh, tonight, I'm, I'm always excited, so let's just get past that. I'm excited about it. But I've got a very special guest in studio tonight and uh, a gentleman that uh, I heard of um, actually via uh, somebody I'd interviewed before, Steph Vermeulen. And uh, we, were, we were talking about uh, this fourth industrial revolution and Africa and South Africa. And she said to me, you got to get hold of Gigi Alcox. So I went... Okay, who's he? And then uh, did a bit more research, and here he is tonight, Gigi Alcock. Welcome. Hi, thank you. So good to have you in the studio. Now, um, a bit of background, okay? So um, you are now amongst many other things, which we're going to talk about, but you're now the author of three books. That's right. Um, the most recent one released in November last year. Um, it's called Casinomic Revolution, The Rise of African Informal Economies. And uh, when I first heard about this whole carcinomics thing, I was like, yeah, no, it can't really be a thing. <laughs> and it is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big thing. So we're going to be getting into that. But first, tell me a little bit about Gigi, because what I've heard, and, and may, we, may we talk about this, uh, you are affectionately known by a lot of people as the White Zulu. Um, and your story is very similar to, to a very famous musician in terms of uh, the fact of that being Johnny Clegg. So tell us a little bit about Gigi Alcock. Where do you, where do you sort of come from and, and, you know, tell me a bit about your journey. Cool. So thank you. I, uh, so my parents were political activists and they believed the only way to change people's lives was to live like them. So they built a mud hut with no running water, no electricity um, in a place called Msinga in KwaZulu. And uh, Msinga is uh, one of the most arid, poorest places in the country. Uh, and they um, brought us up. My mother, we were incredibly poor. Uh, my mother taught us at home. And uh, our primary, after we do schooling in the morning at a stone table, and then uh, we would go out and go to it and stick fight. Those were our kind of primary, um, you know, uh, uh, skills we learned. And we used to feel we were incredibly underprivileged. You know, um, if we went to town and visited white friends and we had meat, we used to say, what died? Because the only time we had <laughs> meat was when something died. And um, we had no TV and no toys. And, and uh, yeah, uh -huh. so... Um, so we grew up like that, and um, my mother still lives just like that in a mud hut with no running water in a Zulu uh, community. And as happy uh, as can be. Ha happy as anything. Uh, and I, mean, I guess uh, one of the first times I realized the huge benefits of growing up like that was uh, I was in a pick and pay, and uh, I was writing out a check, shows how old I am, and uh, I was writing out a check, and the lady um, behind the counter said to the lady who was packing the, the bags, she said which means look at this white man, he's got hair like a baboon. <laughs> so talking about my arms, you know. So, and, um, so I said nothing, I tore out the check and I gave her the check and I said have you ever seen a baboon writing out a check? <laughs> With which she screamed and she said sorry boss. So I said, oh, I've gone from baboon to bus, and, and with which she fled, and she, she wouldn't finish the transaction. Of course, everyone was telling each other what had happened, and everyone was laughing like crazy. Um, and I realized a huge benefit is not only speaking a language, it was understanding deeper things, you know, a sense of humor, sarcasm, irony, you know, people's deeper kind of elements, which I brought into marketing and, and, and the business that I created. So, so you grew up in this, in this very impoverished area. Um, as you said, you did you didn't have a lot to eat. You grew up, I'm presuming, on traditional foods. Um, yeah. And then, so, so what changed? Where did you go from, I mean, because you said yourself, I mean, you've had no formal education unless you 
you count stick fighting and go turning. <laughs> um, so, so where to you from then? So you're 18. When did you move out of home? So initially, I sta- well, I moved out of home um, uh, uh, after school and um, it eventually was uh, forced, we were forced to go to a local government school because the government said at the time we had to spend time with uh, other children and my parents said, well, they've got thousands of uh, black kids they're spending time with, but they didn't count. So in high school, we were sent uh, very reluctantly to the local government school uh, and uh, which we hated, of course. I mean, we were seen as these complete outcasts. We you, you speak as we, so... My brother and I. You so, and your brother, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So um, my brother's name is Makonya, which means to make a loud noise in Zulu. And, um, <laughs> and does he? Does he live yeah, up to yeah, his Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so, um, so, yeah, so I moved, I became a political activist and um, I was involved in a number of uh, non-government organizations, kind of ANC-aligned, and... and uh, I was, uh, you know, really believed in the struggle and and coming from the Zulu community about liberating our population. And uh, then, of course, the um, ANC was unbanned and then went towards elections and I was... um, uh, I, the whole election thing didn't fit with me. I was much more into the kind of struggle than uh, than than voting and and elections. So I moved to Joburg to enter the capitalist um, economy. And uh, in fact, you know, they call um, in Msinga they call Johannesburg Wandongaziaduma, which means the walls that thunder. Um, which is very appropriate if you really? come from Little Msinga and you arrive in, in Johannesburg, Wandongaziaduma, you know, the walls thunder with noise and sound. So the romanticized idea of counting is not all that pervasive. No, no, no. So, uh, yeah, and I became, I had nothing I, had, I was qualified for, so I became a bricklayer and then I uh, started a, a telephone business, uh, public telephones, because I realized no one could access this township, so I'd put up telephones in Alexandra Zulu Men's Hostel. That was now. Was know. this prior? No, this was just post ninety four. Then this was uh, um, eighty nine, ninety ninety, okay. ninety one. Yeah. So that was before it became cool to go into townships. Oh yeah, I mean, I was perpetually the only um, white person in those townships, and um, uh, and I knew them very well and and stuff. So you know, I could move around. People were perpetually saying, "Oh, you lost," you know. <laughs> and uh, I used to have lots of fun because at the time, you know, for people, young kids would see a white person and go, yeah. oh, "I'm Lungo Lechua and Sutu," and and. Uh, and I would stop them and I'd say, where's the white man? Show him to me in perfect Zulu or Sutu, yeah. you know, and these kids go screaming away <laughs> like there's a weirdo. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, though, um, if you look at it, and in, in terms of at least the people I know, how many people do not know how to speak an African language. I mean, I can kind of stumble by. Yeah, you know, and literally stumbled by, yeah. and probably very badly. And I know I have been the butt of many jokes when <laughs> I have uh, taken out my broken Zulu. But uh, most people can't. Most people have no idea. You know, it's a tragedy because I think um, if people had spoken, or, or even now, I mean, I encourage my daughters. I've got a daughter Zandi and another one called Tonsi, and they've got Zulu names. Very blonde, blue-eyed young girls, but <laughs> with they Zulu with names. Zulu names, and and uh, you know, speak Zulu and and. Um, uh, and, and and it changes things completely, you know. Uh, I get away with uh, traffic fines. I get the last <laughs> wine, the bottles of wine at the wedding, and 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 you know. So, um, yeah. 
We are talking to my special guest in studio, uh, Gigi Alcock. We're talking about, uh, amongst other things, uh, his latest book, The Carcinomic Revolution. We'll be back uh, with Gigi in just a bit. Welcome to What's Involved on a Monday Night. My guest in studio with me tonight, uh, author, speaker, can we say revolutionary? Are we allowed to say that still? I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Uh, G.G. Alcock. And uh, just before we went into the break, we were talking about how you got into business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we were t- telling about you putting those phone booths in, in, in the townships. Yeah. Um, how, so where did you go to from there? Because it fascinates me that you're now a very well-known author with three books under your belt and more speaking engagements than you know what to do with. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was struggling to do anything I could in the township environment um, with these uh, phone booths or one of them. And uh, I kind of started becoming aware of the fact that very few other people were in this market and, and doing anything in the sector. Um, it was a case of not even knowing where these places were. You know, at that time, there wasn't a signpost for Soweto. You could drive around um, and around Johannesburg and you never find the way into Soweto unless you knew where it was. Mm. Uh, and yet I knew these places and interacted with people and um, so my next step was I was eventually ended up uh, working at a company called Group Africa which is one of the very first businesses that that focused on these informal economies and township um, environments and rural environments Um, and uh, so Group Africa was perfect for me. It was really about marketing and the language. I could uh, develop uh, you know, material in the languages of the people as well as access those environments. Um, and I was there for a while before I decided to go off on my own and I created a, a marketing business called Minanawe Marketing in about 94-5. And it was really the first business that ad, ad agency that focused on the township or the mass market uh, at a time when people didn't really believe um, I mean they still don't believe it now but uh, at the time it was like impossible to believe there was any opportunities or market in that sector but I mean for so long and, and, and again this is this is one of the things I often think of and I, and I think how sad it is because there is still very much despite the fact that we've had this democracy there's very much this divide, this black and white divide. And if you speak to people, a lot of people about townships and township life, they kind of go, yeah, it's, it's over there. And, mm. and nobody, in, at least hardly anybody in my circle of influence, really knows what goes on yeah. in townships. And, but we're all just people, and yet it's so different. And you talk about this thriving economy there, and, and mm. a lot of times people will look at you and go, yeah, okay, just humor the crazy man. Yeah, you know, it is, it is a massively thriving, vibrant um, environment. Uh, and, and, and yeah, like you said, people are still afraid. They have misconceptions. The idea is that the townships are rows and rows of shacks. And only 14% of our population is actually in informal houses. So they transformed places. Um, and many people are afraid. And yet, I mean, this is, this is the future of our society. The majority of our society live in those environments. Uh, and I just look at some of the things we created in that. You know, I was... Uh, um, chatting earlier about we we introduced um, cheese slices into township food into fed cooks and what they call quarters. Yeah, but this is now a fascinating story because yeah. you would think the humble cheese slice. Yeah, everybody knows about that. Everybody knows how to sell it. Yeah, and yet you did something which was seen as absolutely revolutionary. It was mind blowing. <laughs> 
Yeah, so we, I mean, we identified this thing called a gordo, which is a quarter loaf of bread with slap chips and acher and a slice of poloni and sometimes a Russian, um, endorsed by the Heart Foundation, as you can imagine, <laughs> and the banting. Uh, but um, so we identified these uh, gordas and um, we introduced cheese slices into them at a time that people, there was a completely invisible sector. Today, it's worth uh, more than one and a half billion rand a year cheese slices sold into Gorda's and Fed Cook in this in this market. Uh, the Gorda is 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 now becoming well known as the hamburger of the townships. Uh, just the food sector in the townships, the fast food, what I call gassy course, which is everything from a hordu, which is tripe, to um, a plate, which are plates of food, scorp, uh, scops, corp, uh, you know, and, and so on, is worth 87 billion rand a year, 50,000 townships outlets turning over 87 billion rand so you have this massive sector um just that's just the food sector and it, it is a massive and it's i think it's a fascinating food sector as well um but you've got to be open-minded then i mean this is you kind of grew up in that environment i mean yeah. the first time you know i had like somebody present me with a with a sheep's head i kind of looked on <laughs> in horror and go Where's the rest of it? Because that's yeah. the bit I like. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, tripe as well. You know, it's the same as, uh, I don't know, tripe and tongue. The is delicious. Yeah, I don't yeah. like something that's like going to yeah. be able to taste me, so yeah. no. But yeah. uh, it does take a while. Some of it takes a while uh, to kind of get your head around. Once you do and you yeah. develop a taste for it, there's some amazing foods yeah. that come out there. You know, take someone who eats tripe um, or scorp or whatever it might be and offer them a, a prawn and they likely were an oyster and they're likely to have the same reaction exactly, you have. Yeah, you what, know? what so, the hell are you doing? You know, the thing about it is that the, the sector's grown because of being culturally connected. And this is one of the things we don't really often understand about our society is that forget tradition, you know, traditions would happen in the past, is that a lot of the business, the economies in the society are very reflective of the lifestyles and the culture. So they're completely on point in terms of the kind of foods and the needs of the people. What are their pain points and what really works within this Gassi environment? You know, so I mean, I wrote Gassinomics. The term Gassi is uh, came from the word Lokasi. It's mm. not cool, you know. If you come from Gassi, your Gassi boy, Gassi girl is really cool. Um, and but it the wasn't always like and no, that. No, it wasn't. Eh? And, sure. and now it's a really trendy and cool to be there. And and that, but I think that the business in those environments are very culturally astute and very astute to the lifestyles, and that's what makes them hugely successful but often it's also it makes it very difficult for corporates or other people to enter these markets because they don't have a clue of the cultural or lifestyle elements but it, it, it and again i go back to the sadness of it is that and maybe with our kids it's it's changing a bit and there's a bit bit of cross-pollination of this this whole culture yeah. thing but that we don't have a clue i mean well, you were talking about stuff so when I was doing some research and I read that, that, that this Kasi economy is worth how much did you say? Roughly? Well, I mean, just the that's the food side is worth 90, uh, 87 billion rand a year. Yeah. But then you have other sectors. The Spaza sector is worth probably about 250 to 300 billion rand a that, year. That was the one that stuck. Rental. Backroom rentals. 30 billion rand a year in rentals that are earned by Gassi people for backroom rentals. And I mean, I can carry on with hair. I can carry on. Gassi mechanics. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there are so many. The Muti industries worth 3 billion rand a year in uh, herbal medicines. Muti. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is this really huge um, sector. Um, but, you know, it's a bit like Uber and Airbnb, you know. If you don't recognize it, you don't, because it's, it's a multitude of small little businesses, 
um, unless you're looking for it, you don't recognize that there is this massive economy. Well, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about the books and, and a little bit about how how do we sort of cross this divide? How do we get involved as, as people who are maybe business people listening to the radio station tonight? Uh, you know, maybe there's people that haven't heard of you yet. They'd like to get hold of your books. We'll talk more about that when we come back. My guest in studio, Gigi Alcock, his uh, latest book, Casinomic Revolution. Uh, they are well worth a read. I'm going to dive into all three of them. I'm telling you right now. What's involved, my guest in studio with me, author, speaker, marketer, Gigi Alcock. So uh, before the break, we should become back because you've written the three books and, and I'm very fascinated about that. Uh, and then we got some uh, some messages in wanting to ask some questions as well. So let's talk about how did you go from doing this? Uh, you, you spoke about your, your marketing business and it, and it seems when you, sp- when you spoke about it that that was an absolute passion. So how did you go from that to now writing books? So yeah, so Minanawe was was as I said the fir- first agency really in that space, and we did some crazy stuff. Where, you know, I mentioned the cheese slices. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> we ran the Soweto beach party for Captain Morgan to launch Captain Morgan with 400 tons of beach sand on on a on a dam in Soweto with ocean going yachts on the dam and beach buggies. See, um, it just sounds like so much fun. And uh, and we did all of these things. And and um, anyway, so. Uh, uh, so, so, well, the first book I wrote was called um, Third World Child, Whiteborn Zulu Bread, which was about growing up in a Zulu village and moving to the city and, and very much about my, my um, you know, growing up as a Zulu child. Uh, but then, uh, you know, the, the idea of gasinomics came from we were the only people doing these crazy things in the township. So I wrote about very much what were the opportunities in this gassy economy um, and some of the crazy case studies of stuff we did from the cheese slice to um, I created the biggest cooking show in Africa called the Perfect Sashebo Show. You know, Sashebo is for, for Indians, what, what a curry is to Indians, a Sashebo is to Africans. And uh, the Perfect Sashebo Show has been going for eight years. Years, biggest cooking show in Africa, 10th most watched program on South African television. And here again. I created it for Unilever, for Noor, Norox, um, Raja, Karipada, and Aramat. And, yeah. um, and it, it was huge, um, one of the most successful marketing properties. You know, when I'm in the suburbs and I say to people, I created the perfect Sashebo show, everyone shrugs. When I'm in the township, people think that I've, they've met Jamie Oliver, you know. Yeah. They're like, you created the perfect Sashebo show, you know. People love the perfect Sashebo show. So, uh-huh. so the book Gasinomics was about a lot of those case studies and, and also just pointing out the, the size of this economy and the opportunities in it. Then you moved on from that, and now the latest one. So, so the first one, third world, third world child. Yeah. Not hat tip to to Johnny Clegg. Yeah. Because um, you are good mates with him. Yes, correct. Um, and then it was. Cosinomics, and then the third one now, Cosinomic Revolution. Yeah. So, Cosinomic Revolution is, is really about the revolution that is happening in that sector, not only in South Africa, throughout Africa. Um, and, and, you know, I think with the books, none of them were, both, neither of them were business books. Uh, I mean, they were written as, as uh, adventures, I guess, into this Cosinomic sector. Um, and they're very anecdotal. There's stories about amazing people in the book. Uh, there's a, in Cosinomic Revolution, there's a lady in downtown Joburg. 
who sells 3,000 fed cook every single day for one rand each. Um, she makes herself about 35,000 rand a month. Uh, is building a two-story house in Soweto, um, her and her husband, and uh, yet you walk past her just outside Park Station, you walk past this lady not recognizing this is a person who earns about 30,000, 35,000 rand a month. And she sells fed cook for a rand each. For a rand each. She sells 3,000 a day and then she sells cheese slices and poloni and tea and coffee. Um, but are these, there is a difference between the Afrikaans fed cook and... and the, the township well, food cook. They, they, there's a definitely a difference. Yeah, yeah. The township one's far tastier. It is. No, I'll be <laughs> honest with you. And then you put a cheese slice in it it's, and then it's, it's like... It's smaller, generally smaller, rounder. And I don't know, it comes right. out sweeter for some yeah, reason yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah, no, it's... Um, I mean, it's completely unique. You can't yeah. compare it to. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, we um yeah, and and so so the stories are, are the most amazing thing. There are these incredible stories about. Uh, um, so some of them were gasinomic revolutionaries, these gasinomic guerrillas, as I talk, call them, who were these small businesses really changing the way business was done throughout um, the continent. Um, and then there were the gasinomic counter revolutionaries, who were the businesses that completely destroyed value. Um, mm-hmm. They were, you know, I used to write the, um, the did you knows inside uh, Chappie's bubblegum wrappers. That was rappers. fascinating. <laughs> I was hoping we'd get to this. Because initially and when you said it, I went, are you, are you kidding? Yeah. And you, that's genuinely what you did. That, that's true. And and uh, we had some wonderful uh, did you knows. But, uh, and they all had to be true. Um, but the point about that, so I wrote a little bit in, in about my pet monkey, um, which was called Monkey. Uh, which loved bubble gum, which loved chappies, and would go to the local trading store and steal the chappies, and and uh, then um, th- that led us to um, to chappies, which basically pulled out of the informal sector and stopped focusing on it and destroyed half the amount of volume that they had. Because that was the company was originally Chapelet Humphrey, wasn't it? It was Chapelet, correct. Then it yeah. became Cadbury's South Africa, and then it was taken over by Cadbury's UK. Mm. Um, another one was Champion Toffees, uh, again, which was a brand that was huge, ah, and yes. and they destroyed the value by pulling out of the informal sector. Uh, and then the other side of the coin is there's a company called uh, the Tolerum Group in in Nigeria that um, created the fifth biggest per capita instant noodle market in the world by getting Nigerians onto instant noodles. They sell two and a half billion cases of instant noodles a year. The biggest consumer brand in Africa is Indomie Instant Noodles, not Coca-Cola. It's not any other. It's officially the biggest consumer brand and the eighth biggest consumer brand in the world, according to Cantor, which does these surveys, is Indomie Noodles. And, and these guys really get the informal sector. They, they built their instant noodle business about understanding what is the biggest problem people have in food and, and, and the biggest pain point is cooking it, is the cost of a charcoal or paraffin or electricity or firewood collecting. And instant noodles was the perfect solution to lower income economy and built this massive, massive industry. But why, on, well, maybe they are, but the question that I'd like to ask is, is why are corporates not banging down your doors asking you to help them? Because surely if they're seeing this, or is this what these books are leading to, that, that corporate South Africa are kind of slowly waking up and going, Hang on a minute. Yeah. So, yes, corporate South Africa is starting too, and I've got a su- huge amount of interest in that. My big thing is, you know, 
um, people say, wow, you've got these amazing insights. You created this cheese slice thing and whatever, and it must be in your insights. And I say, no, it needs a brave client. Because to take the leap of faith, you must know these are massive economies and people have done incredibly well, like Parmalat, out of them. But to take that leap into an area that's unquantified, that's invisible, that's um, you know unknown to you and your business, it needs a, a very, you know, I mean, I, I um, suggested to, to one of the banks that they should have a um, funeral policy where they included a goat because a goat is a very important part of, of a funeral. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the, guy, the marketing director said to me, are you telling me I must go upstairs and tell the actuaries that they have to add a goat into our funeral policy? Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. He was like, no way. They'll laugh me out the building. You know, so how do you change the way you do business? And, and this is true for the gigabyte economy. You know, The Ubers of the world and the Airbnbs of the world are disrupting a sector that doesn't know it sees it said wow look at how uber is messing us up but but it takes him a huge amount of time to change their business model to adapt to it and and i find exactly the same it's incredibly frustrating but i mean we've been hearing for i don't know how long now in fact i had a, a discussion with somebody this afternoon on the way into the radio station who was saying yep business sucks business is bad this economy is yep. going down the toilet and then you walk into the studio this evening and go, no, buddy, no. Well, well, let's look at the insurance industry. The insurance industry and the financial sector only targets people where they can deduct money using a debit order. Now, there's, call it, four to five million people in this country who are formally employed. Um, you cannot get a, and I wrote about in Gasinomic Revolution, if you want to insure your car and you want to pay cash for your insurance, mm. you can't do it. And so there's no pay-as-you-go car insurance. And yet all the insurers and the financial guys are saying, oh, we're in such terrible trouble. They are not adapting their businesses to the sector. And if they were adapting their businesses to the sector by being innovative, they would completely transform the opportunities out there. Do you think part of the problem with South Africa and maybe even Africa is that we want, we're trying too hard to be first world when we really shouldn't aspire to it because ultimately, I don't know, we, we, yes, but one step further, we are aspiring to be formal first world. We are not trying to understand informality in its various forms. Now, my form is on the streets, but as I said, the gigabyte economy, the, the Ubers and the, and the Airbnbs and many others are all about the same thing. It's about this massive fragmentation of business and personalization, ultra-personalization of business throughout the world. And the, the f- informal sector is even more that, you know, and, and, and we don't know it exists. We don't really quantify it. We look for a business case. Um, you know, I, f- I found on LinkedIn uh, the initial pr- presentation, PowerPoint presentation that uh, Uber did. And it's wonderful. It's like six slides and they anticipated like 30 cars in San Francisco, you know. Really? And uh, you look at that and it actually says exactly that, is that w- they didn't know how big this market could be, would be, whatever it might be. And the same goes for the informal sector. The first thing the CEO says to me, he says, okay, what's the business case? Can you give me some research um, that proves how big this is and can you tell me how big the market is going to be for us yeah. Palmlet cheese slices never said that to me they said let's try it and see and that's why i said you need a brave client this goes across every single one of these sectors throughout africa but even you know south africa we've been spoiled because we had um we have such a large formal sector mm, yeah but i mean i'm just thinking now as you're talking i'm going hang on but even our government currently has not taken notice of this informal sector, as you said, largely yeah. invisible. I mean, could you imagine if they did? 
yeah. uh, brought them into the tax, started actually doing some incentive. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you, you seem to have a yeah. few more answers than most people I've spoken to, but surely... I well, mean, yeah, I wrote extensively about the, the role that governments should be playing and financial institutions in supporting these small businesses. What we did with Palmlet is we supported small businesses and we found that most of these businesses, we could double their turnover, double the amount of staff they employed by simple interventions. None of them can get financing for their business. Everyone wants to. They have no guarantee. You know, the, 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 the lady selling Fed Cook in the streets of Joburg said, why don't you invest more in your business and grow? your business she said because i have no guarantee because tomorrow the city of Joburg could come and kick her off the street and so she doesn't invest in her business and and my big thing is and and we we have to formalize those business so i understand where the city is but you know throughout the world the government uh, the governments and municipalities do not know how to regulate for airbnb as an example yeah. we are we are we have regulations and policies that are based on the 1920s form of, of how cities are built so we don't make uh, you know opportunities for these and if we did you know and my big push is government and municipalities have to look completely differently at at these things if we we're not going to create a million one and a half million jobs like the ANC says in the formal sector it's impossible it's never no, going to happen I, I agree so with the you. only opportunity is taking the informal sector and growing it and formalizing it in in, a, in an informal way and if it is then these people that you see that everybody moans about that are eyesores on the sidewalks and they're this and it's that suddenly they'll be taking pride in their little space of the pavement and suddenly things will start to change yeah you know there was a lady at a school in tembisa who um i was chatting to her i said how long have you been selling here she said um 26 years she sells food to the school kids I said, 26 years. She said, yeah, I've put two um, kids through university from this little table at the school. Now, put that into perspective. There's 12,000 township schools. Average township school has five mamas selling food. Multiply that by this lady earns 6,000 rand a month. Um, just give yourself how much money is in that sector. But I said to her, do your kids come and help you here since they've finished at university and they can't find a job? She said, oh, this is not a job. I said, but it is a job. She says, no, 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 I work. I don't have a job. A job means that I would have to have a pay slip. And so, so we need to change also how our youth look at what jobs yeah. are because they mm. want a job. Um, the lady in, in downtown Joburg, her kid went and got a job at Edgar's as a, um, as a trainee. And she says, and I said, how much does he make? 35,000 rand a month like you do. She said, oh, he puts two and a half thousand in his pocket every month. Well, you do know in my, in my, my fav- one of my favorite expressions is job means just over broke because <laughs> I'm, I'm a raving entrepreneur. So I, I'm not a yeah. fan. Of, of jobs yeah. I'll be honest yeah. we'll be back wrapping it up with Gigi and I've got to say because we've now had a second person asking about uh, Josie to Cozy so I'm going to have to talk about that when we come back <laughs> great Gigi thank you so much for coming in but before you go I can't let you go yet we got to wrap up tell me what is Josie to Cozy <laughs> So along with the informal sector, my other passion is riding motorbikes and kind of incorporating the two elements. I created an event which was uh, the Josie from Joburg to Cozy Bay in northern Zululand. Yeah. Um, and uh, what they call them, Slabuya Lingana, which means that the earth is flat or even. And um, so it's a motorbike event over about four days where we stop at Shabins along the way and we meander through Zululand and, and really get an experience of beautiful countryside, but also a little bit of a cultural feel for it. So. So, and and you, how often does this happen? Only once a year. It'll oh. be in August. 
But oh, uh, okay. So it's Josie Ducozzi. You'll be able to find it on Facebook. There's a Josie Ducozzi Facebook page. Okay. Yeah. So what? You bring your bike. You and there's, a, there's a, a fee you pay and then off you go. That's right. And each night uh, we carry your bags from place to place. So each night um, we put you up in this fantastic lodge or in a tent if you're on the economy one. Uh-huh. And... Um, we uh, and and in between you travel between these different places. We give you a route and uh, you stop along the way. At, and uh, you know, a lot of the time, the hardest is getting people to the finish because they're stuck in Gorkos <laughs> Shabin. You know, <laughs> I just think it would be brilliant for people from all works of life to be able to do something like that. To just go out and experience, and 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 not. And I know to a degree, it's nice if you can get out there. Specifically, if you're one of the privileged white boys and never been into a township, get into a township. But it is a bit sanitized but to get into the actual real rural land and to see how people really live yep. and how warm and generous and loving and welcoming they are that changes lives you know it's incredible and and every t- and in fact i took an american um friend who who um was very senior businessman i took him around one of the townships the other day and at the end of it he said to me you know I thought I'd come back sad and miserable. He says, all I remember was the laughter and the warmth and the jokes. And this is the thing is that we have these negative things about it's all sad and miserable. Yeah, and there's a few poor people out there and that's uh, terrible. We should have you know, changed that. Mm. But there's also lots of people who are living great lives and, and we should be experiencing that both in the social environment from the Shisanyamas to the Shabins to, to just understanding what life is like and people are incredibly warm and, and welcoming. And you know what, it's, it's one of the things that I have noticed to be true so many times amongst African people, the capacity for love and joy. Yeah. I mean, tragedy strikes. Some of these people have a terribly hard lives. There's always laughter. There's always a smile. There's always a song. We could learn a whole lot. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly optimistic society, and often the humour is about laughing at yourself and making light of a situation, yeah. which often makes it even more kind of evocative and and deep, you know. Wonderful, Gigi. If people want to find out more about you, about booking you, about Josie to Cozy, what is the best place to go? Uh, the best probably starting point is I have a website, ggalcock.com. Um, I have an email address, gg at Um Or I've got a Facebook page, gg Alcock Facebook page. I've got a um, a uh, Josie to Cozy Facebook page as well. Um, okay. And I keep on very regular stuff on the uh, GG Alcock uh, Gassinomics Facebook page um, on ongoing things about amazing stuff that's happening in the township. Web- so Website's a great, great place to start, though, because from there you can link out. Yeah. So uh, GG Alcock, A L C O C K, GG Alcock.com. GG, thank you so much for coming. I want to hear more. I, I, I need to know more. Where to <laughs> from here for you? Just to wrap up. Well, I sold my business, Minanawe, and I've joined the informal sector. I'm a freelancer, and my passion is very much about how to to grow those economies, how to get government and municipalities, I mentioned earlier, to look at it, but also to look at the corporate sector and how they can engage with that and help grow that sector, grow those businesses, create more opportunities, uh, because that is the future for our country. It's not going to happen in the formal yeah. sector. And you, you coined such a brilliant phrase, an Afropolitan yeah, I mean, Afropolitan is a modern but very culturally African uh, person. That's that's the primary, um, the typical person in our society. That's what we're aiming for. Gigi Alcock, thank you so much. I wish you all the best. We're going to have to have you back sometime in the not-too-distant future. Thank you.